podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, Two Footed Podcast on Thursday, February 10th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, that's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location and access things you're geo-blocked from. For example, UK expats can access BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, all four, whatever they want, with a Liberty Shield VPN. It will also keep your data safe, so you don't need to worry about ne'er-do-wells and miscreants stealing your private information. Check out libertyshield.com. Use the code ROUTER50 to get your router half price. That's ROUTER50 to get your router half price at libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally... Do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, uh, we've got two nights worth of games to go back over, starting with Newcastle 3, Everton 1 on Tuesday night. For the first 35 minutes... This felt like a game that Newcastle were going to be the better team in and Everton were going to steal. And then Everton went one up through a Jamal Lachelle's own goal. And you felt like this was going to be how the game would play out. That they'd sit in, defend, Newcastle would attack and Everton would catch them on a counter-attack and get a second goal and that would be it. But one minute later... Mason Holgate put through his own net. Credit to Newcastle. Went right down the pitch. Won a corner. Good ball in. Great header by Lachelle's. Making up for his error at the other end. Crashes off the bar. Hits Mason Holgate. And in it goes. And from there, Newcastle were just levels and levels above Everton. It wasn't even a close competition from that point on. Ryan Fraser made it two on 56 minutes. And Kieran Trippier wrapped it up on 80 but Newcastle could have scored two or three more. Bruno Gomerich came on, had an impressive cameo. Alan St. Maximum was just on a different level to everybody else on the pitch. Comfortably the best player on the night. Trippier's free kick was really good, but I do wonder if a goalkeeper with normal-sized arms would have saved it. It did just seem like one of them where Pickford's little stumpy arms didn't help him in the moment. So, look, a big, big win for Newcastle. It felt like a huge win for them at the time. You could see the massive outpouring of relief as they get that three points that drags them out of the bottom three and puts them only one point behind Everton. So Everton are 16th with 19 points. Toon are 17th with 18 points. Newcastle unbeaten in four, back-to-back wins. Certainly their best run of form this season. 
and Everton very much now in the relegation battle. And when you look at Everton's upcoming games, Leeds at home will be difficult. Southampton away is a very difficult game. City at home, Tottenham away, Wolves at home. Anyone see any wins there? I see maybe one. I see maybe one win for them in these next five games. And if they only manage one win, they could well find themselves in the bottom three when they face Watford on the 19th of March. And Everton have a difficult run in as well. Like after that Watford game, their last eight, West Ham away, Manchester United at home, Crystal Palace at home, Liverpool away, Chelsea at home, Leicester away, Brentford at home will be a huge game. They're going to have to target a win in that one. And Arsenal away. I'm not being funny. I kind of see maybe three wins for them between now and the end of the season. Leeds, Watford and Brentford. But that Watford game is away. And you know Hodgson will target that as a game to potentially win, but definitely take a point from. Leeds will come in full of confidence off their result at Villa Park during the week. The rest is very, very difficult. That Brentford game is probably the easiest game they have left. Especially if Brentford are safe by then. They've already beaten Brentford under Lampard. The rest is very, very difficult. It is not looking good for Everton. It really is not. For Newcastle, this little turnaround in form has come at an ideal time. But it gets very difficult very quickly for them. So they get Aston Villa at home next, then West Ham away, then Brentford away, Brighton at home, Chelsea away, Crystal Palace at home, Spurs away, Wolves at home, Leicester at home, away to Norwich, at home to Liverpool, away to City, at home to Arsenal, away to Burnley. If they're still in the relegation mix with four games to go, I would fear for them because I don't fancy them to win any of those games. That Burnley game on the last day of the season could be absolutely massive for the future of both clubs. Newcastle's future is a little bit more secure because they've got all the money. Burnley go down. It's very hard to see how they come back up, how they survive. But this was a great win for Newcastle, and their fans were rightly thrilled. It was by far the best they've played this season, and it was a little bit of a damning indictment on Lampard and how he set his team up. Uh, West Ham won Watford nil. West Ham deserved to win this game, but they didn't play well. Watford had some moments. I thought Emmanuel Dennis started the game looking very lively and then sort of faded out of it. The winner was a fluke. Jared Bowen shot from 20 yards out. They took a big deflection, which sent Ben Foster the wrong way. Other than that, it didn't feel like West Ham were going to score. It really didn't feel like West Ham were going to win this game. It felt like they were going to drop more points. As it is, they move back into the top four. And over the course of the season, there's no question, they're the team most deserving of fourth place right now. Coming up, they've got Leicester away. Then Newcastle at home. Wolves at home. Liverpool away. And Aston Villa at home. So a nice home slate, games that they'll target to win, but games that will still be difficult. Newcastle fighting for every point, 
Wolves looking better and better as the season goes along. Villa getting more and more confident under Gerrard. It's not going to be easy for West Ham to keep fourth place, but they've put themselves in a position where they'll at least contest it, and that's really positive. For Watford, the second bottom, they're one point ahead of Burnley, but Burnley do have two games in hand. Up next, they've got Brighton at home, then Villa away, then Crystal Palace at home, then United away, and then Arsenal at home. That's a difficult run. That really is a difficult run. There's no easy game there. The two home games, Brighton and Palace, both very good teams. And, of course, Arsenal, who will be in the top four mix, is the third home game. But, you know, Villa and United away, they don't feel like games that Watford are capable of getting anything from. But if they play like they did against West Ham, maybe, maybe they can just frustrate them enough. But it feels like those teams have a little bit more firepower than West Ham do at the minute. Watford need to start picking up points or they are going to go down. Hodgson is going to need some wins. His general thing is to average about 1.15 points per game across a season. And that generally gets you to about 43, 44 points. That would probably be enough to keep Watford up, given how poor some of the other teams are. But at the same time, they don't look like winning games. They really don't look like winning games. They never looked like they would beat West Ham. They never looked like they would beat Burnley. And if they don't win a couple of games, there's not enough games there for them to get the draws that they'll need because they play too many good teams between now and the end of the season. I'm a little bit... I'm a little bit concerned about Watford as a football club because... Their ownership situation is so weird. And I say this all the time, they're the least English team in the Premier League. They just don't operate the way a traditional English team does. Now, you don't have to operate that way. But in terms of stability, in terms of having a plan, knowing what you want to be as a football club, it doesn't feel like Watford have any of that. And we're a decade or so into these managers, 12 years maybe into these managers. No, it's a, it is a decade. They sacked, they sacked Dyche when they took over. And they never seem to have really put in place a blueprint for what the club is going to be. Now, maybe internally they have one, but it's certainly not something they've shared with their fans. And when I speak to their fans and, and watch their interactions on social media, many of their fans do wonder, like, where are we going? What's the plan? Who will be in charge next season? How many managers are we going to have in a year? You know, they're already on the third manager this season. And... Would it surprise anybody if they sacked Hodgson in five games' time? If they lost five on the bounce? I don't think it would. All in all, that result, that defeat, given Newcastle's win, that defeat hurt for Watford. It also hurt because Burnley came back and got a draw with Manchester United, a 1-1 draw at Turf Moor. In the first half, United played very well. And it was probably the best United have looked under Ralph Rangnick since he took over. They started with Cavani up front and Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench. Rashford, Fernandes and Sancho behind Cavani. And it worked really well. There was a lot of good movement, some good interplay. They created some decent chances. They thought they'd gone one up from a Rafa Varane header off a Bruno Fernandes free kick. 
but Harry Maguire was offside and interfered with play, so it was ruled out. But Pogba put them one up on 18 minutes. Really nice move down the left-hand side. A good cutback by Luke Shaw. And to his credit, it's an excellent finish by Pogba. High into the net. Gave the keeper no chance. And United looked like they'd go on and win this game comfortably. Cavani missed a big, big chance. Luke Shaw broke down the left again. His cross took a deflection and looped up in the air. And it's one of those ones where... As you watch it, you're waiting for the ball to come down and it seems to be moving really slowly. And obviously that's the experience Cavani's had as well, where he's standing waiting for the ball and there's nothing he can do. And Nick Pope, who was out of position, is able to take advantage of the fact that the ball takes so long to come down, gets himself across. There's a lot of luck in the save. It comes off his knee, but he made himself big and made the save. Burnley came out in the second half a different team and Veghorst started to have a real impact on the game, made Maguire look dreadful, gave it to Rodriguez, then Rodriguez made Maguire look dreadful and finished past De Gea to make it 1-1. And from there, it was a pretty even game. Second half, I thought, was a pretty even game. Either side, you know, could have won it. Both had decent chances. But the draw overall, much better for Burnley than United. United's first half display probably deserved the, the, th- the three points, but the way they fell off in that second half was concerning. And now United drop out of the top four. They sit fifth. They have Southampton at home at the weekend. Saints are going to be full of confidence after a great result last night. Then it's Brighton at home. Again, that would be a very difficult game. Then Leeds away. They've always done well against Leeds since Leeds have come up. But last season, Allen Road had ended in a draw. And Leeds are starting to get more and more players back. So, you know, maybe that's a tougher game now then than it looks like now. Then they get Watford at home. That's a must win. I mean, Watford are the team that ended Oli. United can't afford anything other than three points in that one. Then it gets really tough. Their march is horrible. City away, Tottenham at home, Atletico Madrid second leg, and then Liverpool away. That's a really tough two weeks to play those four teams. That's a really difficult four-game stretch. Atletico obviously doesn't have any relevance to the Premier League, but that is going to be a tough, tough game that's going to take a lot out of the players, especially if United lose the first leg, uh, which is played February 23rd. It's a really tough march. For Burnley, they're still bottom. Still only one win from their 20 games played this season. But 11 draws, which is, I believe, the most second most in the division after Brighton. Only eight defeats, which is the joint least in the bottom half of the, of the Premier League. Only 28 goals conceded which is better than, better than anyone else in the bottom half, better than West Ham and better than Manchester United. But they've only scored 17 goals, and that's where they fall down. Only Norwich have scored less goals. They're going to need Veghorst to start scoring goals. They're going to need Max Cornet to find some form and start scoring goals. Dyche has notably started to play a front four with McNeil, and Cornet on both sides, on the, on the wings, rather, and Rodriguez and Veghorst up front. That's what he went to during the Watford game. It's what he started the United game with, and I think it's what he'll stick with. 
Coming up for Burnley, they've got Liverpool at home at the weekend. That's not going to be easy, obviously. Then they go to Brighton. Then it's Tottenham at home. That's a rearranged game. Then it's Crystal Palace away. Then Chelsea at home. That's a really tough five games. That's a really, really tough five games. They're kind of banking on winning a couple of their games in hand. But even if they win them, there's not many other games there that look like likely wins. They still have to play Norwich. They still have to play Watford. But both of those are away. They're away to Brentford as well, which, you know, one of the easier games in the league, given how Brentford have been playing. But it's still away. And then Newcastle, that's the final day of the season. They could be dead and buried by then. Because it's hard to see where they start getting points from. They are only four points from safety. They do have the two games in hand, but it's really difficult to see how they stay up. You have to back Dyche, though. He's he's proven time and again. He is one of the better managers in the league. And if there's one guy down the foot of the table who's capable of putting together a run where his team, you know, out of 10 games, maybe lose two, but win four and draw four, it's probably Dyche. It's Dyche, certainly over Lampard, certainly over Howe. Dean Smith is capable, for sure, and obviously Norwich are in a decent little run at the moment. Hodgson would be more likely to get two wins and six draws and two defeats, or two wins, four draws, and four defeats. But Dyche definitely has the managerial advantage at the bottom of the table. And if the front the front group click, Defensively, they're good enough. The keeper's still quite good, despite quite a big fall off from previous years. And in midfield, they just they keep things simple. If that front four can click and start getting some goals, maybe they have a chance. But as things stand, it's just not looking very promising for them. Uh, moving on then to last night, we had four games in the Premier League. Manchester City beat Brentford 2-0. Not exactly vintage City, but certainly a deserving win. Brentford masters of their own demise. A stupid foul by Roarslev on Raheem Sterling allowed Riyad Mahrez to step up and score a penalty. Sterling has now won more penalties than anyone in the history of the Premier League, which is interesting, but not necessarily a sign that he's a diver. He just plays in a quite a direct manner. He takes people on in the box. He's very brave at what he does. But just considering his age, it's quite interesting that he has the most penalties won in Premier League history. Um, the second goal is just... It's the same goal they conceded at Anfield. Liverpool's third at Anfield. When they started trying to play out from the back. And just gave the ball away really cheaply. And David Rea, who'd had quite a good game. And made a couple of big saves. And made another big save after this. Just with such a, such a poor ball. Gives it straight to Sterling. Does really well to save Sterling's initial shot, but the ball breaks loose to Kevin De Bruyne. It's 2-0, it's game over, and City are 12 points clear. Now, Liverpool have two games in hand, but you'd rather have the points, as City do. And they play Norwich away next, so that's a game they'll fancy winning. Then it's Spurs at home, then Everton away, where they always win. Then the derby against United, which will be difficult, because... City tend to make it difficult for themselves. And then Crystal Palace away. 
The Spurs game and the United game are the ones Liverpool will kind of be banking on City maybe dropping points in. Norwich and Everton you wouldn't expect much from. But Palace is the one to watch because remember, Palace already beat them this season. And Palace just don't respect reputation and they're really aggressive in how they take teams on. So Palace could give them a bit of a scare. They've also got two games against Sporting Lisbon and uh, the FA Cup game away to Peterborough in that run. For Brentford, it's becoming a situation where you're just thankful they have the points on the board already, that they're up to 23 points in the league because five games, five defeats in a row rather, is really not the form you want to have at this stage of the season. And it's not the first time that they've gone through a bad run like this. They previously lost four in a row back in October into November. They have won six games this season. Three of them came in the first seven. They took more points in their first seven games than they have in the 17 since. Only 11 points in the seventeen game, the last 17 games after 12 from the first seven. So they're trending in the wrong direction. And they're just not playing well. They just don't look particularly good. They've obviously been bounced out of the FA Cup in quite embarrassing fashion as well by Everton. You do just think there's a real chance they could get dragged back into it if a couple of teams below them start to pick up points, start to find form. Remember as well, they've played 24 games. Leeds only played 22. They're leveling points with them. Everton are four points behind. They've got three games in hand. Newcastle are five points behind, two games in hand. Norwich are six behind, one game in hand. Watford, eight behind, two games in hand. And then Burnley, nine behind, but four games in hand. So if Brentford don't, start picking up some points and draws will do them if they can just get some draws and get points on the board they could find themselves going into the last few weeks in an uncomfortable situation now their last few weeks do include games against Everton and Leeds they've also got Watford in the last six games so there are points to be had there but still they, they need to start turning things around quite quickly they need more goals from Ivan Tony and Brian and Bomo the defence needs to be a bit more solid. And Thomas Frank needs to be a little more pragmatic. When I mean, your team are losing, especially to a team like City, stop trying to play it from the back. Stop trying to play it from the back when you're up against one of the best pressing teams in the world. Um, they play Crystal Palace next. That'll be tough. Then it's a trip to Arsenal. Then Newcastle at home. Norwich away. Burnley at home. Those are three winnable games for Brentford. If they can take seven points from those three games and maybe pick up, you know, a point or even three against Crystal Palace, they'll be fine. They'll they'll pick up enough points the rest of the way. They'll get something at Watford. They'll, you know, they'll have Leeds last day of the season. There's maybe points to be had there. They should be okay. But if they don't, if they go through the next five games with only, say, one or two points, I think we we might have to start sounding the sirens for them. Norwich won, Crystal Palace won. Timo Puki put Norwich one up in the first minute. Really well taken goal after good work from Ashika down the left. 
But from then it was kind of all Palace and Palace felt like the team that were going to not just equalise but go and win the game. It took them until the 60th minute. Michael Adisa with a great crossfield ball. Wolf Zaha, great first touch, shifts it inside and just bends an absolute beauty into the top corner. It's a stunning goal. And Angus Gunn could do nothing about it. Angus Gunn had a really good game here but could do nothing about it. Minutes later, Zaha plays in Tyreek Mitchell. Mitchell's taken down by Max Ahrens. It's a penalty. Zaha steps up and proceeds to take the worst penalty you'll ever see in the Premier League. Normally you see guys, you know, blaze the ball over and you think that's terrible or they roll it at the goal but at least get it on target. He rolled this and he bounced up to it and he looked full of confidence. He didn't appear to slip, but he just seemed to kick the ground before it. Ball ends up going nearly two yards wide and dribbles over the end line. Awful. Absolutely awful from Zaha. But the goal was so special that you'll almost forgive him. Um, Gunn made a good save. I thought the best defensive action of the game was Tariq Mitchell. Rashika had done great work again. This was still in the first half. Played the ball across. It found its way to Puki in the box. And just as he got ready to shoot, Mitchell came from nowhere and got in like a blocked tackle. It was absolutely tremendous. Really good reading of the game from Mitchell. And really good example of never giving up on something. Tariq Mitchell's going to be a really good player for Crystal Palace for a long time. Um, Palace find themselves in 13th in the league, which is kind of standard for them. But there's a different feel to them this season. I think everybody would agree with that. They're a fun team to watch. They're a good team. And they've got a lot of promise for the future. Brentford away is next. Then Chelsea at home. Then Watford away. Burnley at home. And then Wolves away. So a more favourable run than many other teams have. Chelsea and Wolves will be tough. But the other three, I think they'll look at as games they can win. They also get Stoke in the FA Cup. For Norwich... They'd obviously been turning things around a bit. They got back-to-back wins. I think they thought they were going to win this one as well when they went one up and held held Palace out for so long. But you can only defend like that for so long. Uh, they've got a tough run coming up. They get City at home next, then Liverpool away, Southampton away, Liverpool in the Cup, then Brentford at home, that's a winnable one, and then Leeds away, which is going to be a big game for them because they need all the points they can get. They obviously are 18th in the league. They're only a point behind Newcastle, but they have played the game more. But they're making a fight of it, which is all you really wanted from them. When Dean Smith took over, that was sort of what you wanted him to do, was was get a bit of fight into this team. And uh, so far, so good. So far, so good. It's taken them a while, but, you know, that's three without defeat. That's their longest unbeaten run in the Premier League in quite a while. Quite a while. Uh, Moving on then to... I'll go Villa-Leeds next, because this was a cracker of a game. Dan James put Villa one up after a Tyrone Mings error. Shock horror. But that's... a theme of this game. Coutinho decided to take the game over on 30 minutes, scores a great goal. Eight minutes later, great pass for Ramsey, who makes it 2-1. 
The thing to note in this one is not just the pass and the run by Ramsey. It's the composure. His first touch is quite poor. His second touch is worse, but what he does is he just slows himself down, lets the defender go by him, and then finishes. Excellent finish by Jacob Ramsey. And then Coutinho for Ramsey again on 43. Uh, Coutinho, by the way, two goals, three goal involved, three assists since joining Villa. That's more than Sancho and Grealish have this season. And he's played three games. There are levels to this game. Uh, right on the stroke of half time, Dan James climbed highest to head home <laughs> against Tyron Mings. Another Tyron Mings defensive error. Shock horror. Second half wasn't as exciting, but was still a good game of football. But Diego Loriente tied it up 3-3 on 63 minutes. And wouldn't you know it, Tyron Mings again at the centre of it. Really weak defensive clearance. Falls to Loriente about eight yards out and he smashes home. Mings gets down and thumps the ground in frustration. It's, it's not the ground's fault, Tyron. It's not the ground's fault that you're awful. It's as simple as that. Villa will go nowhere while he's in the team, but there's so much promise around them right now that their fans should be very excited. Esri Khan's is sent off in the 87th minute for a second yellow card. The second yellow was warranted and stupid on his behalf, but the first yellow card that he got, he was fouled. Dan James fouled him, and somehow he got booked. Um, I thought Dan James actually had a really good game in this one. I thought he, he's starting to look a bit more like a Premier League footballer rather than just a, an average footballer with a ton of speed. Uh, Villa move into 11th. They're three unbeaten, but only one win from the last five. They get Newcastle next, which will be tough. That's at St. James's Park. Then it's Watford at home. That's the one they'll want to win. That's the uh, the Graham Taylor or Ashley Young derby, depending on your generation. Then it's Brighton away. Then it's Southampton at home. And then West Ham away. So a couple of very, very difficult games coming up. Newcastle will be tricky. Watford, they should win. But the three after that are difficult. And then it gets really difficult. They go Arsenal, Wolves. Arsenal at home, Wolves away. Tottenham at home, Liverpool at home. That's a really tough run. From starting with Brighton, that's a really tough run of seven games. That will tell us a lot about where this Villa team stand and probably tell Gerard and his staff a lot about the players and what they're going to need to do in the summer. Uh, for Leeds, this was just a big point because it's obviously been a very disappointing season. They're starting to get players back, though, which is important, and they're going to need to start picking up results. Having lost to Newcastle, they needed to bounce back. They did. Next, it's Everton. That is a game they can win. It is a game they can win, but they're going to need to be really really diligent on set pieces where they're normally terrible because Everton have a lot of very tall fellas. Uh, then you get Manchester United at home, Liverpool away, that's the rescheduled game, Tottenham at home, Leicester away. It's a tough run of games. But, you know, United and Tottenham at home with the Ellen Road, Ellen Road crowd behind them, getting players back, getting more confident, Maybe they can pick up some points. Maybe they can. But I think that Everton game is is very, very winnable right now. They just need to be diligent and set pieces. I think they'll be all right. Final game then of the night. This was kind of the big shock of the week. Tottenham 2, Southampton 3. So Spurs went one up on 18 minutes. Jan Bednarak turning into his own net under pressure from Youngman's son. Broya equalised five minutes later. Some 
calamitous defending from Spurs. Ben Davies began it just a, you know when you watch slapstick and and there's like one guy does something silly, so like eight others do something silly. It's like a chain reaction. This was that. Um, Broya made it one one on twenty three. Youngman's son put Spurs two one up on seventy in slightly controversial uh, manner. It looked like Emerson Royal fouled. I think it was Broya in an aerial duel. Broya went down. I think it was Broya anyway. Stayed down. Southampton wanted the ball put out. Spurs played on because the referee told them to play on and went and scored. And you thought, okay, it's over now. Spurs will win this game and that's fine. They'll move on. But Southampton just didn't read the script. And Saints deserved to win this game. They were the better team on the night. They had 23 shots to Spurs 8, 10 on target to Spurs 3. More possession, more passes completed. Um... Eight corners to Spurs, two. They were the better team. They played a very aggressive style. And they scored pretty much carbon copy goals. Both times, it's James Ward-Prowse in the inside right channel with crosses into the box. El Yanazi with the first one beats Emerson Royal in the air. Really poor from Royal. And then Che Adams, two minutes later, same cross, same spot, same result. 3-2 to Saints, huge win for them. Massive loss for Spurs. Massive loss for Spurs. They sit seventh. They've still played this. They've now played the same amount of games as Arsenal and now find themselves below them on goal difference. Now, Arsenal play Wolves tonight, and it's possible that you know they could win that one. Although I, I think it'll be tough away. Um, but they still have to play each other, and that'll be a big, big game for Spurs. They're three points behind United, but do have two games in hand. Four behind West Ham with three games in hand. So top four is still there for the taking. It's still theirs if they want it, but they didn't really look like they wanted it last night. And coming up, it's a tough run. It's Wolves. It's City away. It's Burnley away. Leeds away. And then Everton at home. Now, Leeds at Everton, they should beat. Burnley away, they should win, but it will be tough. The next two are very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. You've also got Middlesbrough away in the cup thrown in there. And then they play United after that run of games. And then West Ham. So their next seven league games is going to be very, very telling. But if they're in a position coming off the back of that, where they're in the mix, they should be okay because they play Newcastle at home. They play Brentford, they play Burnley, and they play Norwich in their last eight games. That's four, what should be four wins. Should be four wins. And Burnley at home, Norwich away is your last two, is kind of what you would want. For Saints, huge win. Um, Ralph Hasenhutl continues to do a very good job. Only one defeat in five for the Saints now. They seem to have found stability after uh, a lot of chaos over the you know previous sort of two years. They have United away at the weekend. They'll go into that one confident. Then it's Everton at home. That's a game they should win. Norwich at home, a game they should win. They play West Ham in the Cup at home. Then it's Villa away. That'll be a tough one. But then Watford at home. That's a game they should win. So in the next five, three home games against relegation battlers. In the next six, four games against relegation battlers. Six league games, obviously, because you've got Burnley away thrown in there as well. So Saints are in a good position to put together a little bit of a run here. 
but they have flattered to deceive at times before. So we won't get too hyped up about them. Uh, tonight, we have two Premier League games. We have Liverpool versus Leicester at Anfield. For Leicester, no Evans, no Castanier, no Vardy, no Fafana, no Mendy. Mendy could be back from AFCON, but no Bertrand. So missing a couple of starters, obviously in bad form. Morale has to be low. Motivation has to be low. Confidence has to be low. Liverpool, bar Mane, they'll be close to full strength. Henderson has a bit of a back issue, so he might not start. Might not be in the squad at all. And Origi's working his way back from a knee issue, but he's expected to be fit. But he might just not make the squad because the squad will be that strong with everybody bar Mane available. Uh, you would fancy Liverpool to win this one. Liverpool need to win this one. They need to keep pace with City or something resembling pace. And a win here is an absolute must. Cut the gap back to nine. Then go and beat Leeds in that game in hand. The gap is six. You've got City at the Etihad to come. That could make it three. And then you're just relying on City to slip up somewhere along the line. And you can pounce and become Premier League champions. In the other game, it's Wolves at home to Arsenal. For Wolves, Neto's not quite back yet. They're hoping the start of next month. Willie Bolly remains out. Johnny Otto, hopefully the end of this month, they're planning to have him back. Huang could be back in for this one following a thigh issue. And Muscara remains out with the thigh problem. For Arsenal, um, Tomiyasu, they hope to have back. And El Nenny should be back from AFCON. Whether he plays or not remains to be seen. But they're pretty close to full strength now. Um, so they're, you know, their tactic of making up injuries to get games cancelled uh, worked out well for them. Worked out very well. And um, they'll go to Wolves confident. But that is a very tough game. And Wolves are playing really well. Both sides obviously in the top eight. A win for Wolves will put them above Arsenal. There's only two points in it, so they have been very close this season. I think a draw seems likely in that one. Wolves don't score a lot of goals, only 19 in the season, but they don't concede a lot of goals. Arsenal struggling to score goals. A little bit frail at the back, I think, but Wolves aren't exactly the team best place to punish them. I'll go for a 1-1 draw and a 2-0 Liverpool win over Leicester. I'll take a break. When we come back, we will have some listeners' questions, some gossip, and we'll be done. Speak to you soon. Right, uh, listeners' questions. We do have two this week. These are letting me down this week. Um, AMK2889 with Salah losing out at AFCON and still needing to qualify for the World Cup, could he still make the Ballon d'Or with only with only winning a domestic double? No, is the answer. No, he can't win the Ballon d'Or only winning a domestic double, domestic cup double. He would need Egypt to qualify for the World Cup. He'd need to go and have a great tournament, and I think he'd need to win either the Premier League or the Champions League. I think. Domestic cup, cup double would be on top five, on top of how he's playing. Unquestionably the best player in England right now. But I don't think he wins the Ballon d'Or. Uh, KO99, top 10 football stadiums you've been to. Um, Anfield, obviously. Highbury was great. Loved Highbury. Alliance Arena. 
Amsterdam Arena or Johan Cruyff Stadium as it is now, Millennium, the old Wembley, San Siro, Lansdowne Road was brilliant. The atmosphere was great. Croke Park is incredible. And to be honest, the Sky Dome in Toronto is really, really special. Or the the Rogers Centre as it's called now. Sky Dome's incredible. So yeah, those would be them. And uh, we'll wrap up with the gossip and be done for today. We have a couple of days worth to go through. So, um, England captain Harry Kane is more than happy with Antonio Conte. And while he wants to stay at the club, a decision has not been made about his future. That's from the spoofer. Words that don't mean anything. A sentence that doesn't say anything at all. Sadio Mane would be willing to leave Liverpool if Barcelona or Real Madrid came in for him. I think he'd leave for one or two other clubs as well. But it'll be more down to the fact that he's not or hasn't yet gotten the contract offer that he wants. Roma are expected to make a new attempt to sign Granit Xhaka this summer. They're still not going to pay any more than the 12 million they wanted last summer, so they were willing to pay last summer. Manchester United have targeted Leicester and Belgian midfielder Yuri Thielemans. Would make sense as long as they put the right partner in for him. A number of Premier League's top clubs and members of Europe's elite have watched Hugo Ekatike. Newcastle failed to sign him in January. He's going to be one of the hot prospects this summer, the hot properties this summer for sure. But Toon still think they'll get him because they had the framework in place for a deal. It just depends on who else comes in for him. Newcastle are preparing a summer bid for Lloyd Kelly, regardless of whether they get relegated. Lloyd Kelly would make sense. Obviously, Howe has signed him once before, but barely played him in the season that Bournemouth went down. I think Lloyd Kelly is probably a left-back at the Premier League level rather than a left-side centre-back. Paris Saint-Germain are interested in signing Moise Keane in the summer. The 21-year-old is on loan from Everton with an obligation to make his move permanent. So they're not interested in signing him. They kind of have to sign him. That's what that is. Tottenham want to sign Arturo Vidal. I don't think so. I really don't think so. Uh, Norwich and Rangers are looking at Schalke's 28-year-old Austrian goalkeeper, Martin Frazel, who will be at a contract in the summer. He's having a pretty good season, as far as I know, for Schalke this year. Real Madrid and Croatia midfielder Luka Modric has suggested he could continue playing until, his, until he's 40. Given how he plays, it's possible. It really is possible. Uh, Mike Ashley still wants to buy Championship Club Derby but acknowledges time is running out. And speaking of Derby, I mean, has anyone had a quick look at the championship table recently? There's a real chance they stay up. They're currently 23rd, 18 points, two points behind Peterborough, two uh, two further points behind Reading, so four behind Reading. But when you consider that they've had 21 points taken off them, and they should currently be 15th, They've outperformed Peterborough, Reading, Cardiff, Hull, Birmingham and Swansea, as well as Norwich and Bristol, but leave them out of it for now, so far this season. They've got 16 games left. If they were to take 22 points, that should keep them up. 
And they're more than capable. They're more than capable of doing that. I think Derby have a real shot at staying up, which is absolutely insane, considering they've had 21 points deducted from them this season. Borussia Dortmund boss Marco Rose says honest talks are taking place with Erling Haaland as the 21-year-old decides what to do with his future. He's obviously going to leave. It's going to be crazy to watch the offers he gets, but unfortunately for Dortmund, it doesn't matter how many clubs they're in from, the buyout is going to be the same. So they've sort of backed themselves into a corner here. A number of Manchester United players want the club to step up their efforts to appoint Paris Saint-Germain manager Mauricio Pochettino as the Old Trafford club's next boss. A number of journalists have reported this, including a number of journalists well-placed to speak about United. For me, if players are dictating who the manager should be, it's not a good sign. The father of Colombian winger Luis Diaz claims Tottenham's hesitation over signing the 25-year-old allowed Liverpool to beat him to his son beat them to his son's signing. Chelsea have offered Antonio Rudiger a new contract worth close to 200 grand a week in a bid to keep him at Stamford Bridge this summer. He has pre-contract offers from Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain. He doesn't improve either of those clubs because they play a back four. But Chelsea shouldn't be looking to pay him anywhere close to the money he wants. Brighton can expect renewed interest from Aston Villa this summer in Yves Basuma after having a £35 million bid rejected in January. And remember, going into the summer now, he only have 12 months left in his deal, so it probably is the time for him to be sold. And £35 million might get him this summer. France striker Anthony Martial says Barcelona and Juventus were interested in signing him in January, but his priority was joining Sevilla. This is nonsense. Arsenal are lining up a bid for Douglas Luiz this summer. He would suit quite well. You could see him and Thomas Partey being a pairing that would work quite well. If I was him, I'd stay at Villa, but, you know, money talks. Manchester United manager Ralph Ranić is interested in signing Borussia Dortmund and Switzerland defender Manuel Akanji. Well, this is nonsense because... Ranić will only be manager till May and will have no involvement in the transfer window. So, you know, Akanji's a good player, but he has been injury prone and he won't suit certain styles of players. He's not a better defender than Varane. He probably is a better defender than Maguire, but Maguire's better than the air and Maguire's the captain who cost 80 million. Barcelona forward Memphis Depay could leave the club this summer. The 28-year-old Dutchman could be pushed out following various new arrivals. It hasn't gone particularly well for Memphis there, but he's still a hell of a player who'll have loads of offers. Newcastle United goalkeeper Martin Dubravka turned down a loan move to Manchester United in January, with the Magpies offering the Slovakia international to the Old Trafford club in their attempts to bring in Dean Henderson. So they're looking to do a swap. Not surprising that he turned that down knowing he wouldn't play, but it's a bit of a shame for Newcastle because Dubravka hasn't been great this season. AC Milan are set to meet representatives of 22-year-old Lille defender Sven Botman over a potential move. This is the move he's been holding out on. This is the move it was believed he turned down Newcastle because of, that he wants to go and play for Milan. And Tamore and him would be a great partnership. 
Arsenal turned down offers for Mo El Nene in the summer from in January rather from Newcastle, Leeds, and Watford, despite his contract being set to expire in the summer. They kind of had to though because they'd loaned out everybody else. Everton were impressed in talks with former Tottenham director of technical performance Steve Hitchin, and could bring him in as the director of football. They do need a director of football, but he's never been one. And he was heavily involved in a lot of Tottenham's recruitment in recent years, much of which has not gone well. He was also put in charge of the managerial search in the summer. I think we all remember how much of a circus that was. So I'm not sure that that makes a whole lot of sense. And finally, Italian goalkeeper Gigi Buffon, who is currently playing for Parma, would seriously consider a move to Major League Soccer in the US come summer. I hope he keeps playing. I hope he keeps playing. He's clearly not a top-end goalkeeper anymore, but he's still pretty good. And he is, for me, the greatest keeper who's ever lived. So the longer he plays, the better. Um, We are now in year 27 of his professional career, which is mental. Absolutely mental. If, If we're all being honest... Footballers playing that long is not something you see. And Stanley Matthews is probably the only one who's played longer. And this is only his second season not playing in a top division. He stayed with Juve when they got relegated, helped them come back up. He chose to go to Parma. He could have gone anywhere else this past summer. And uh, he's been playing regularly. So, you know, it, it makes sense for him to carry on playing. Now, Parma are mid-table. He's not going to stay for another season in Serie B, but yeah, makes sense for him to, if he wants to keep playing, to go to America, get whatever money he can and enjoy a comfortable life. And that is it. That is me for today, folks. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Podcast Network.